0: We're continuing and wrapping up our series called Revealed this morning. I'm just going to kind of set the stage for us. I'm excited for where we're going. I'm I'm excited for where we're going. We're going to be talking about some some somewhat complicated things, but things that also apply to our lives. But in order to get to the application, we kind of have to go through this process of setting the stage, setting the foundation. We can't get there until we start and build this foundation. Right? And, and so, so I'm excited for where we're going, but we have to start by building something. All right? And so I need you guys to track along with me and, and hang with me as we build, if you will, as we construct this foundation. And I want to begin by asking you all to journey back. Some of you are going to have to journey back farther than others. But to journey back um, to your years in middle school, high school, and college. Years that some of you may be trying to block out altogether, I understand. Hopefully this isn't too traumatic of an experience for you. Um, but journey back there. And, and while you're in that state of mind, I want you to think about this. What was the hardest class you ever had to take? What was the most difficult class, the most challenging class that you ever had to take from an academic standpoint? Now... Uh, I was a fairly good student, not because I was the smartest kid, but because I worked hard at it, and in college, I took a class that was easily the hardest class I've ever taken, it was Greek, learning Greek, right, and you could legit say, well, it sounds like Greek to me, because it was, you know what I mean, it was awesome, it was like the most fun that that phrase has ever was, you know, for me, <laughs> it was like so applicable, and, and, and we had to learn the whole alphabet, right? And we had to learn how to translate the original language of the New Testament into English. And we were trying to study and we were trying to learn. But it was so hard. It was grueling. I can't tell you the countless hours I spent looking at flashcards and trying to read and study and, and, and do my homework and then get ready for these tests, right? It was so difficult. And I know we've all been there, right? That class for everyone comes to mind. Unless you're one of those who are like, yeah, I just got good grades and I never had to study. Slow clap for you, all right? Slow clap for you. The rest of us know what it's like to work extremely hard only to scrape by, right? We get what that feels like. We know exactly what that's like. Now again, I hope our experience this morning is nothing like the most difficult class that you've ever had, but but what we need to understand is that we are going to use our minds this morning like we do each and every week to wrap around or try to, to comprehend what is somewhat of a complicated topic, but again, in the hopes that you'll be able to track with me so you can see how this applies to our lives. And I know we're up for the challenge. I know we are first service had it rough right they had to do this at 8 30 in the morning but you guys have an extra hour on them so you're good you're good in mark chapter 12 jesus is having a conversation with uh, the sadducees excuse me another branch of the religious rulers you have the pharisees and the sadducees and it was during this conversation that they asked him what is the most important commandment and obviously jesus has a lot to choose from there's over 600 of them but they ask what's the most important one so Jesus responds and perhaps you're familiar with one of the what was his response and and he says well it's to love the lord your god with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength in other words we are to love god with all of our being all that we are every aspect of our lives we need to love god that's essentially what Jesus is saying, but if we were to break down his response a little bit and ask, well, well what does it mean to love God with our heart? I think we understand that. What, what does it mean to love God with our soul? Like, okay, I think we could wrap our minds around that. What, what, about, what about our strength? Like, yeah, okay, working hard and, and doing things for God, we want to we love him with, with the things that we do, but what about, what does it mean to love God with our mind? Like I said, this morning we're gonna start by discussing a concept that's a little difficult for us to wrap our minds around, and yet it's a topic that is taught and addressed in scripture. So we we can't ignore it, we shouldn't ignore it. However, it's probably a topic that you would find more likely to be addressed in in a Bible school, a Bible college lecture, than on a Sunday morning. But again, if you stick with me, If you stick with me, if you build this foundation with me, we are going to find out how it applies to our lives in a very real way. We're going to look at a question that so many people have wondered about and maybe you have wondered as well. And so as we dive into this topic, again, I encourage you, engage, right? Stay or or track with me. Do your best to track with me. And, And in case you're feeling a little bit drowsy, the ushers are going to make their way down the aisle right now with Red Bull for everyone, right? I'm just kidding. That would be awesome, though. That would be super fun. Um, somebody, everybody, just be shaking a little bit. It'd be a good time. <laughs> you guys ready? We'll do this. And so we want to strive to understand God a little more and thus love him with our mind. The past few weeks, if you've been Here at Life Point, you know we've been going through this series called Revealed, The Will of God Discovered. And up until this point, our focus has been on figuring out, discovering what is God's will for our lives? What is God's will for my life? And we learned that God is always communicating to us, He's always communicating, but we are not always listening. And of course, the primary way that He communicates or reveals His will to us is through scripture, through the Bible. And he communicates in a lot of other ways too, but scripture is the most clear and direct method of communication. And I would encourage you, if you happen to miss one of the the last three weeks or so of this series, you need to go back on the website and check it out because there's so much practical stuff for our lives as we're trying to discover God's will and what it means to live in that. This morning though, we're gonna take a broader look at this idea of the concept or the, this, uh, this idea of the, uh, God's will, right? We want to step back a little bit. And we're going to begin by trying to wrap our minds around one of the most perplexing things in all of Scripture. Are you guys ready for this? One person. This is fantastic. Every, one person is ready. Two people. We will figure this out together, the three of us, right? Here it is, one of the most perplexing things in all of Scripture, that God is sovereign. He is in authority over all things, and yet disproves of many things. Or to say it another way, God disproves of some of what he ordains, orders, or determines to happen. Or perhaps... One other way to say it is God forbids some of the things he brings about and he commands some of the things he hinders. Anybody's head starting to hurt trying to make sense of that, right? Instead of Red Bull, the, ty- the Tylenol is going to be distributed now by our ushers. Um, hopefully that will help us, right, as we kind of figure out, well, well, how do we make sense of that? What does that even mean? And I know maybe what some of you are thinking is, what is the world, what in the world is he talking about? Or, man, I knew I should have just stayed home and watched six hours of pregame for the Super Bowl, right? That would have been way better. But but don't jump ship just yet. Hang in there with me, right? Keep tracking because remember, we're trying to love God with our mind, which means we're working hard to understand as much as we can about him and the Bible. Now, I realize that the phrases that I just said, the phrases on the screen behind me, they seem contradictory, right? That seems impossible. I mean, how could God disprove of things that he allows to happen? That doesn't make sense. And if that's what you're thinking, I mean, you're right. It does seem contradictory. It seems impossible. Unless you know that God's will is defined in two clear and distinct ways in Scripture. Quick side note, I'm going to give a shout out to well-known pastor and theologian John Piper uh, for helping me make sense of what we are talking about today and diving into this idea of, of there being two wills of God and how that is clearly communicated in Scripture. And so, we want to talk about that this morning and how we see those ideas laid out for us in Scripture. And the first will that we're talking about is God's sovereign will. Or another way to say that is the will of decree or the secret will. Three different terms, same meaning. And it's this aspect of God's will, it's all about His sovereign control of all that comes to pass. One of the clearest examples of this aspect of god's will in scripture is found in matthew 26 verse 39 and it was in this chapter in this particular verse that we we know jesus is in the garden of gethsemane right and, and his his life here on earth is coming to an end he's soon to be crucified and then rose rose from the grave but but his life now is coming to an end on this earth and in verse 39 of matthew 26 Jesus is essentially asking God if there's any other way to bring about salvation other than him having to die. And Jesus said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We have to ask the question, what does the will of God refer to in this verse? What is he referring to when he says, not my will, but your will? See, it's referring to the sovereign plan of God that will unfold in the coming hours. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And how do we know that that's what the will of God is referring to in this passage? Well, we know because of what's recorded for us in Acts chapter 4. Verses 27 and 28. Allow me to read it for us. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, check this out. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And so according to these verses, we know that the will of God was that Jesus die on the cross. It was God's plan. It was God's decree. He allowed it to happen. And even though Jesus asked if there was any other way, the sovereign will of God was not going to change. See, here's where it gets a little wild, too. Something that may be hard for us to to reconcile in our mind. The sovereign will of God includes the sins of man. The sovereign will of God includes the sins of man. Judas Iscariot, Herod, Pilate, the Roman soldiers, the Jewish leaders, they all sin in fulfilling God's will that Jesus be crucified. See, it was a sin for Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, to betray him. It was a sin for Herod to mock Jesus. It was a sin for Pilate to wash his hands of the situation and pass the buck. It was a sin for the Roman soldiers to beat an innocent man. It was a sin for the Jewish leaders to condemn him. And yet their sin was part of god's plan there are times as john piper said god wills to come to pass some things that he hates we find another example of god's sovereign will including the sins of man in first peter 3 verse 17 which says it is better if it is god's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." Meaning that it's, it may be God's will that Christians suffer for doing good. In this instance, in this particular context of 1 Peter 3, the, the suffering that Peter is referring to is persecution. Is persecuting Christians who don't deserve to be persecuted a sin? Of course. Of course it is. And yet persecution may still be God's will. And so again, we see that God sometimes wills, that events come about that include sin. We find a summary statement of God's sovereign will in Ephesians 1 verse 11, and Paul writes this, "In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will." See God's will is his sovereign control of all that happens. It cannot be broken, and it will always come to pass. That is the first definition. That is the first meaning of the will of God that we see in Scripture. Is everyone still tracking with me? Still following along? Does anyone need a Red Bull? This is yours. All you have to do is come up here and get it. I will give it to you. No one took me up on it first service, which made me have to pop it open and drink it myself. No? Who wants it? Come on, man. This is yours. Right there, Gabe. My man. You were were up last night playing video games, weren't you? Yeah, he needs it. He needs it. Brave. I knew he was going to be a student. I knew he was going to be a student. I didn't want to hand out Tylenol. I didn't want anybody to accuse me of being a drug dealer. Let's switch gears a little bit, right? We talked about this first meaning of the will of God. But, but what about this second meaning of the will of God that we see in Scripture? And the second meaning for the will of God is, is God's will of command. God's will of command, or which we also know, or which is also known as the revealed will. And this aspect of God's will is all about What we should do, or what God commands us to do. See, in large part, the will of command is what we've been talking about the last few weeks in this series. Pastor Chris said the primary way God communicates or reveals his will to us is through scripture. And whenever we read the Bible and come across a passage that tells us to do something, love your neighbor, give sacrificially, do not worry you're reading the revealed will of god it's what he's commanding us to do and this particular definition or meaning of the will of god is a little bit easier for us to to understand because it's much more black and white do this or don't do that in our finite minds we have We have a bit more trouble comprehending something as complex and something that has so many nuances as the sovereign will of God. And there's no way we could tackle all of those nuances and, and do that topic justice in a service this morning. But the will of God is something that's much more easy for us to wrap our mind around. Now, if we were to compare and contrast these two wills that we find in Scripture, we would see that the sovereign will of God is going to happen no matter what, whether you believe in it or not. It's going to happen. God has decreed it. He has determined it. It will happen. However, the will of command is the aspect of God's will that we can disobey or fail to do. And we see that time and time again in Scripture and in our own lives. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, this verse implies that some people will not do the will of God. What about 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4? It says that God's, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You see, God desires for us to be sexually pure, but we don't always live in obedience to that command, do we? Finally, 1 John 2, verse 17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives Forever. And unfortunately, we know that not everyone is going to live forever. Not everyone will have eternal life because not everyone is going to put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation. Some do and some don't, which means the will of God doesn't always happen. And so while it may be difficult for us to fully understand, it's clear from the passages that we looked at that there are two ways of talking about the will of God. The sovereign will, that it's all about his control of all that comes to pass. And the will of command, which is all about what God wants us to do. Foundation is built. You have made it, all right? You've survived. You've persevered through your biblical lecture for the day, right? Congratulations. Now let's figure out how that applies to our lives. How does this understanding of two wills of God and how we see that laid out in scripture, how does that affect my life right now? Because it's not just about head knowledge. What does it mean for our lives today? You see, one part of being a human being is that we will experience pain and loss. It doesn't take you very long in life to figure that out. It's an inevitable part of life. And we will experience varying degrees of pain and loss. Some will experience more than others. Understanding and recognizing that there are two meanings for the will of God will help us whenever we find ourselves in a time or season of pain and loss. And let's talk about why that is. You see, because when we are deeply hurt or experience great loss, we need to know that God is in control and that he is able to take all our pain and all our loss and use it for good. And if you understand and recognize God's sovereign will, that he is in control of everything, you know that he's capable of that, even in the midst of pain. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And when we are deeply hurt and experience loss, we need to know that God empathizes with us and does not delight in sin or pain in and of themselves. And see, if you understand and recognize God's will of command, you know that he is grieved whenever sin, whether our own sin or the sin of someone else, causes us pain. Let's, understand, let's, let's see how understanding the, the two meanings for the will of God play out in a hypothetical scenario. If a victim of child abuse was asked, do you think that what happened to you was the will of God? How do they respond to that? What is the answer to that complicated question? If they understood that there are two meanings for the will of God, they would be able to give a biblical response. Not one that makes it any easier. Not one that takes their hurt and pain away. Not one that makes it any easier to forgive. But a biblical response nonetheless. True. And they would say, no. It was not God's will. Because we know that God commands us to love one another. The Bible is clear about that. And abusing someone else is a sin. It breaks God's commandment. And whenever God's commandments are broken, he is grieved. And so no, it was not God's will. But if they understood both meanings of the will of God, they would go on to say something like, but in another sense, yes, it was God's will, a part of his sovereign will. Because there are ways that he could have stopped it, but for reasons I don't yet fully understand, he didn't. John Piper writes We need both of these truths, both of these understandings of the will of God, not only to make sense out of the Bible, but to hold fast to God in suffering. And I got to wonder if Joseph, the Old Testament account of Joseph in the book of Genesis, I wonder if. He had an understanding of both meanings of the will of God during his life. If you're not familiar with this story, man, it's a fascinating story. You've got to read it at the, some point this week. Genesis chapter 37 through 50. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version this morning, but you've got to read it for yourself. Joseph was one of 12 sons, and he was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Joseph's brothers were well aware of the fact that he was their father's favorite, which as you might expect, Caused some problems, right? Caused a few problems. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and they hated him. And then when they finally reached their tipping point, when they could take that punk kid no longer, they got rid of him. They sold him into slavery and told their father Jacob that he had been killed by a wild animal. And you thought your family was dysfunctional, right? That's some messed up stuff. Was it a sin for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery? Yeah, you bet it was. God was not pleased with their decision to do that. They disobeyed God's will of command. In that moment, they weren't loving Joseph. They were living in sin. However, we also know that the sinful actions of Joseph's brothers were part of God's sovereign will. Joseph didn't realize it until decades had passed, decades later. But he realized that God had a plan for him. And when he was reunited with his brothers, this is what he had to say in Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And while in this particular scenario, you can kind of tie a bow on it, it's like, great, that's fantastic for Joseph. He knows how God was using him, he knows what the end point was. It was he was sold into slavery ultimately to save lives. You got to wonder were all of Joseph's questions answered along the way? Probably not probably not and like anyone else I'm sure he wondered why God why would you allow this to happen now if I'm being honest knowing how to respond biblically to a horrific experience like abuse that will never take the pain and hurt away knowing the right response isn't going to answer all of your questions we're all going to go through painful experiences in our lives we're all going to experience loss and it's going to look different for everyone maybe it's a loss of a job a crumbling marriage a wayward son or daughter a miscarriage whatever the case may be there will be pain there will be suffering And no matter what that painful experience or loss happens to be, the question of why is likely to be at the forefront of our minds. Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he do something? You see, what's hard for us to swallow is that there may not be answers or reasons, at least that we'll ever be aware of. Our why-based questions may never be answered to the degree that we like. However, as we wrestle with the challenging, painful, disappointing, it wasn't supposed to be this way type of things in life, we have to remember two very important truths. First is that God never promised to leave us. He never promised that we wouldn't go through painful experiences. But he never promised, or he promised that we would never have to go through it alone. Isaiah 41 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And second, even in our darkest hour, there is hope. Because of Romans 5 3 and 4, it says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know. That suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And of course, this, is, this hope that Paul is referring to isn't manufactured on our own. The hope he's referring to only comes from God. And I love how this topic is addressed and rooted, which is one of our small group studies here at the church and is something that each and every one of you should be a part of at some point. It says, our hope is not an effect. That God is going to fix every problem we face in the way that we want. He rarely does. The hope is knowing that God goes with us through this difficult time and comforts, strengthens, guides, and carries us through. And so whatever you're going through right now, remember that God is in control. Scripture is clear about that. He's the one calling the shots, and not only that, He loves you, and he cares about you. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he'll be with you every step of the way. And so as you go through painful experiences, do everything you can do to cling to him.